The network marketing industry has changed dramatically in the last decade. With the advent of social media, digital marketing, the rise of the influencer, and all the tech platforms that promise something extraordinary, how do you separate the helpful from the hype? Welcome to Beyond the Network Marketing Dream, where authenticity and relationships, simplicity and duplication are at the core of everything we focus on. The fundamentals of building still work. Join us as we go Beyond the Network Marketing Dream. Well, welcome everybody. I am with John Harimza. And John, you have got a bio that's almost too hard to deliver in a short amount of time here. But I can tell you one thing that jumped out at me is not only your tremendous success, but that dyslexic piece resonates with me. As some of the listeners know, it's just really cool to see somebody get through it and then leverage it and use it as a strength. But you have had some incredible success in the industry, and it's great to have you on the show. Well, thank you. It's great to be here. Yep. So 33 years in business, earnings over $27 million. Talk to us a little bit about your just experience on both sides, both from a field leader and dealing with corporate or being involved in that side. There's nuances with each side of it. Can I kind of share a little bit of your background just diving in here? Yeah, it's funny because my first ever experience in the industry was a water filter and I was 24 years old. I had just gotten married and I was working in a factory in a potato chip snack food company. As you mentioned, I have dyslexia. So reading and spelling was difficult, which that affects your self-esteem and self-confidence. I mean, literally wouldn't even say hi to us unless mm-hmm. they say hi to me first. And so I got invited to look at this water filter in a home party. And I thought they wanted me to build a display, right? (laughs) Or look at the quality of product. I mean, certainly not sell. I mean, I literally wouldn't even say hi to somebody and got super, super excited. This world of network marketing, being around people, just willing to pour themselves into you, that personal development versus when you're at a job, right? I mean, the upper level management, it's like you can't even talk to them. They're at a different social economical status and you come into networking And just the personal development, the the warmth, the team building completely and totally changed my life, right? And I thought at that time, there were two companies in the world. (laughs) The one I was with at Amway, and I thought I had a deal. And then some things happened and learned and realized I needed, I was four years there and made about $400,000, which coming from uh, making nine bucks an hour, it was life-changing. But I, I was in the dining room, so to speak. I mean, I was in the dining room where all the excitement was going on. And then my second company was much bigger leadership role, right? Because I came into it with some knowledge, with some contacts, with understanding and belief in network marketing. My first ever experience, I remember there was a major hiccup with NewSkin, I think, at the time. And it's just like, oh, my God, I knew the whole industry was too big, good to be true, right? It's like your whole world collapsed. And then you kind of take a breath and realize, okay that it's not over. So when I came, because I think this, to be really ultra successful, you got to believe in this networking that it simply is a better way to live, right? Better way Mm -hmm. to live, better way to work, better way to bring products to a consumer. When you first come in your very first deal, you want to, you see it, but you're still fragile. And so I came into my second experience with that large level of belief, maybe got to peek in the kitchen a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. A little bit more of what's happening. Yeah. yeah, behind the curtain. And then I spent 12 years there. And let's take one second on that. It's just, it's almost dangerous though, isn't it? You got to be careful when you see behind the curtain. Sometimes you see 
some of the parts that aren't great about the industry and it affects your belief in the field. And how do you balance some of that? Well, and I think part of balancing that is just, I mean, there's nothing out there that's perfect. I mean, there's right. issues with everything. I mean, there's issues in our households, right? I mean, there's issues in everything. And if you live in that world where you expect everything to be perfect, you're going to be disappointed your whole life. So you got to believe that there's a lot more good than you mm -hmm. know, mistakes and bad. It's kind of funny because I remember my second experience, right? I was there 12 years and I was just getting going first few years. And I mean, I came into it with excitement and belief and a little handful of knowledge and people. And so I became one of the board members of the company. We had this fruit bar, fruit mm -hmm. bar that went accompanied a fiber drink. And I remember the president of the company, I was doing an event in Colorado and we were at the Radisson in Colorado. And he's just like, Hey, John, I mean, this is unbelievable. I mean, is there anything you can do? I can do to help you out. Well, at the time they had these fruit bars that were like cardboard, but when you opened them, like bugs came out of it, like <laughs> bugs or moss or whatever. And I remember I says, gosh, if you could get the bugs out of the fruit bars, I said, it'd really help us out. Where a lot of people would just be, as a short window, bad batch, something like that. But most people would that'd blow them out of the water, right? But yeah, so I spent 12 years there, made like $4 million thinking I'm going to be there for life. And then the company got sold and merged and sold. And at the end of the day, I tell people, this is all about belief. When if you got to be able to keep belief and belief in the future, but there also comes a time where you lose belief, right? Mm -hmm. And when you lose belief, that's where you're faced with, oh God, I got to make another move. Uh, that's and so that's such a great point. Yeah. So then I spent the next 12 years as a master distributor, and that's where I had my biggest money. I made 12 million in 12 years, again, thinking I'm going to be there for life. And company decided to go a different direction, and I got very upset. And so I don't know if you call it sometimes wisdom, good fortune, mm -hmm. hard work, combination of everything, but I've been really fortunate in my career because I've never had, even though when I've had to make moves, but I've made millions and helped others make millions and had an... I mean, I look back, everyone, even when I had to move, the experience was incredible, right? The financial, you see so many really talented networkers, they get desperate, they don't think it through, they get caught up in the hype, and they enter that network marketing roller coaster, right? That treadmill and keep missing. I haven't had that. Every time I've made a move, I've done- And what do you attribute? I mean, I know you talk about leadership and the important role, and I think that speaks to your character and leadership. I don't, we don't know each other. I think when you see people that have done it three or four times, it really speaks to the fact that it wasn't luck, but do you attribute some of that to identifying companies with real value proposition or what do you attribute it mostly to any particular aspect? Yeah, I think two things I want to actually share in that area. Number one is you, you could take one of the best networkers and or you could take, you know, me, right? And you put me in a messed up deal. I'm going to struggle. You're only as good as the company. And one of the mistakes these people make in is they start reading their own press releases. They think this success is because of them and they don't realize, yes, they worked hard, but they worked hard in the right environment because you work hard in the wrong environment. You're going to get a different result, right? So. You have to understand that, number one. And then what I understand is all of these companies are made up of really five critical elements, right? The company, the product, the compensation, the timing, training, and support. And if two or three of those things are missing, and depending on how bad, I mean, because you can strengthen those areas if you're in sync with corporate and stuff. But ultimately, if those areas are not in place or get messed up, you're going to struggle. You look at two people, let's say they got similar talent, work ethic, all things equal, but different companies, one's making 10 grand a month, the other's making 200 a month. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what's the difference? It's the vehicle. 
You do want not to get too philosophical, but you almost wonder, like, from where you came from educationally and upbringing and all that, got such a dose of humility young. You learn not to read your own press because you've been on the other side of the equation. And I think, honestly, for some people, if they've never had that and they have too much success and they haven't had a dose of humility, sometimes you forget what it is. Yeah, I never knew what it was to have the rough patch. Yeah, no, and that's where the, I always tell people real leadership shows when things are difficult. It's easy to be a leader when it's blowing up, right? When you're <laughs> in momentum, it's when the worm turns. So that's when it really gets tested. So you know, talk to me a little bit about the change in the industry. You are seeing right now, and you referenced this a little bit, and I certainly believe the same thing is that you're seeing some trends that aren't particularly good for the industry in the long haul, whether that be these pay influencers or the shallow nature of some of the organizations, and you see comp plans that are even gearing more towards very shallow because there's a lack of leadership, depth, culture, personal development. What can companies and what can leaders do to try and offset some of that? Is it just picking the right kind of model? Or what do you think about that whole arena? Yeah, I mean, I think that's part of it, picking the right kind of model, or if you're in a model that doesn't really create an environment to support that is maybe you can take and do that for your team to build that depth of leadership, right? Because of the social media influence. I mean, these people are overnight successes because of a video or a message that they did. Then again, they get bought into their being so good and they don't realize that. So that can be gone in a minute, right? But the other thing is it really does, people are becoming way more successful than their personal development, than their development. And that's risky, right? Because there's always going to be a hiccup and they're literally going to have no idea what to do. I mean, I grew up in that NSA and those pioneering companies where you had to, I mean, the personal development, the three-way phone calls, the in the trenches, the follow-up, all Mm -hmm. of that stuff was ingrained in me. And so we need to add that. Although the technology, the social media, it's a massive part of our business today. I think you have to kind of bring them together and make them work a little bit where you can provide that mentoring and that long-term leadership, keep people's egos in check, but teach them some of the core fundamentals. And you, as an old-timer, myself being an old-timer, we can learn from them. And it can be a very strong dynamic to kind of go back and forth. Hey, I'm impressed with what you're doing. I can help you be more successful and you can help me be more successful. I think that's something as well. Obviously, the fundamentals don't change, right? But the environment and the tools being used and whatnot. But when you see somebody pop up in leadership and you know that their personal development hasn't reached their income, which is happening a lot, what are you doing? Are you trying to have a heart to heart or what are you doing in that's different than maybe you did in the past to deal with some of that, if anything? Well, I mean, I do think that getting them into development, the Jim Rowans, that rock solid core philosophy, one of the things that pop into mind that Jim says, he says, wouldn't it be a shame for your income to grow and you didn't? You have to grow into your income and your income can grow faster, but if you don't catch up, personally, you're not going to hang on to it. But it is a bit of a balancing act because you're dealing sometimes with some crazy egos and arrogance of these overnight successes. I grew up in an era where you had a VHS tape or a cassette, a fax, a phone bill for 700 bucks a month or whatever. And that's how you built. In many ways, it was simple, right? Duplication wasn't hard because they're like, well, what do I do? Well, it doesn't matter. You can hand them this VHS or you can call them, you can fax them. But now in this digital world, 
you've got all these people and you don't want to stifle that at the same time, it creates problems of duplication. Are you dealing with that? Do you try to address it or do you just let them have a free for all in terms of what they're doing? What's your approach to that? Well, I think when they're really onto something and running, let them run, right? But mm-hmm. it's the same notion. You got to kind of nudge them to backfill. I do believe you need to do that. And they got to be willing to take that input and that advice. And sometimes I think doing it, hey, listen, I really want to learn what you're doing here and understand it better. And I think I can help you really understand how you can make this long term by developing some of the things that I've learned over the last 30 years, right? And so I think maybe approaching it with that give and take a little bit, because nobody likes to be told what to do. And so that kind of thing can shut people down if you don't approach it correctly, especially when they're making money. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, it makes sense. You talk about being a distributor and running a company being two completely different set of skills. Can you dig into that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, I've never run the company. I've been a master distributor for the last 20 years. Right. And so you work very closely with the company. And sometimes you're dealing with people at corporate that have built in the field, right? And they understand what it is that we do. And then the point is, are have they forgot? <laughs> they understand, yeah. but they're losing touch with it, right? And then you have the people that have never been in the field and just know how to run a business. And that's even sometimes more difficult because they just don't get us at all in what we do. And one of the things I tell them corporate all the time is whether you want to believe it or understand it or not, your business is the field, okay? The field is your business. And so every decision you make has an impact on that field, on their mindset, on their attitude, either it's going to impact them positively or negatively. And when you're making decisions, understand the sales force is king, okay? The decisions you make are going to affect that. And sometimes those decisions are to lower CV or cut this or cut that because they want to make more money. And then the, it compounds on itself because you affect the mindset and the checks and then the whole thing starts turning on you versus let's maybe look at this from another aspect. How can we put more money in these people's pockets, get them excited, get them motivated, and they'll bring the business. There's a lot of different dynamics and it's very difficult sometimes to deal with corporate. I mean, I'm sitting in my situation right now, had a great working relationship and then kind of got some other people came in and just completely starts listening to the wrong people. And literally in a matter of 10 months, you lose 70% of your business. Yeah. I mean, that's tough. We'll talk about your website and you've written several books and it's incredibly challenging. I've got to think for companies, I've seen a lot of it where they want to serve the distributor, but they're struggling with this new environment. I mean, if you're seeing some companies that are literally selling against the field and they don't understand that belief and trust. Well, part of belief is trust. And you talk about how important it is. And then the company Is that one of the single most important things as a company owner that they have to appreciate that trust is paramount? Absolutely. Because like you said, I mean, when people ask me, what is the most important element for success? And it's belief. Belief, people by people. I never thought about it exactly that way, but it's true, isn't it? If you don't believe, if you're not fired up and excited. Yeah. And I I say, hey, when belief is high, sales are high. When belief is low, sales are low. So every decision you make affects that one way or the other. And so if you're making too many that affect the belief that your sales are going down. Which could just be too many changes 
yeah, by themselves. Okay. Yeah. So the barometer is belief, right? Those high sales are high. <laughs> belief is low. Sales are low. That needs to be the number one consideration you need to be asking yourself. And I'm one of these type of people. Okay. This sounds like a great idea. Now let's run it through the mill. What can go wrong here is they react too quickly. They don't think things through depending on this has kind of been my experience, frustrating experience. But yeah. So that's a big part of it. But you know, here's what I was going to say is because the sales force and leadership is so valuable. But what happens, sometimes they can get, the leadership gets so powerful and has so much influence, companies feel threatened by it, right? Because, oh my God, if this person leaves, it could literally destroy our business. And then they do things that ultimately force that person to leave. They try to decrease. And the reason we get paid so much is because our ability to influence and move and motivate people and then they try to take that from us because they get scared of our influence. They lose it and it does the exact opposite of what they think it's going to do. Yeah, that makes sense. And I'm curious about exactly what you mean, which I feel the same way. I just want your perspective on this is you talk about hating the exaggeration of numbers and success. And then it's a slippery slope because you just keep compounding the numbers. It catches up with you. So maybe Talk about that. And you see it. It's prolific right now in the industry. Where, And maybe it's always been this way. I mean, I've certainly seen it over 25 years, but it almost seems more prolific today when in one other aspect is that I think some of the younger generation don't care as much about the money, but at the same time, we're doing the Kardashian, TikTok, free ride kind of mentality how as a leader do you guard against it and when it seems to be so prevalent and almost necessary in some people's minds? Well, again, it seems necessary in some yeah. people's minds, right? They get caught up yeah. by the lifestyles and all this stuff. And to be honest with you, all of that lifestyle stuff, I mean, they're trying to keep up with their spending. I mean, a lot of it is not real. It's designed for enticement. You can live like me. Meanwhile, they're completely flat ass broke. You have to, I guess, try to help them balance that because it's not what you earn, it's what you keep. And if you get that balance off, you're putting way a lot of stress on your people and on yourself. So when I'm talking about not exaggerating, yes, I mean, live within your means. You need to take and don't exaggerate your income, other people's incomes, company sales volume. I'd rather underestimate. And then the reality is when you exaggerate, where do you stop? And they eventually know the number. And then it's what else did you lie to me about? Right. So I just believe just don't exaggerate. Numbers are too easy to prove. And it goes back to that belief, the way you deliver the message, the confidence in which you deliver it and the conviction is different because in the back of your mind, you're making it up. Yeah. I mean, to that point, I mean, that's one of the things, again, ties back into this belief thing, right? Is every time you talk to somebody, right, you're either buying or selling. You're either buying somebody's story about why something ain't going to work or you're selling your story about why it is going to work. And whoever has the greatest level of belief or confidence is going to have influence over the other. I mean, even if you don't know, and but if somebody hits, and it happened to me early on in my career, and somebody says something negative about what I was doing, and I'm like, oh, wow, it's just you can almost feel the air come out of your sails, right? Yeah. Versus having that posture that, I mean, you're absolutely wrong, because whoever has the greatest level of belief or conviction is going to have influence over the other person. That's awesome. Well, John, it's been fantastic. You've got a website. You wrote the book, Right or About Right. Almost got right. Yeah, well, Right or About Right is good too, but Right or Almost Right. Oh, Right or Almost Right. I apologize. Yeah. I was just in the ballpark almost. Tell us what the book's about. Well, the concept behind the book is I meet so many 
hardworking, talented networkers seemingly doing everything right, but yet they're struggling, Mm -hmm. right? And so my contention is that they're doing it almost right. It's the little things that can make a major difference. I mean, from doing a three-way phone call, are you doing all the talking? Are you asking questions and getting to know the person? I mean, so it basically takes every little part of our business and breaks it down to likely what you're doing that you think is right and making that little adjustment. You look at a Tiger Woods versus a really good golfer. By looking at them up front, they both look like they're doing the same thing, but Tiger's doing something different, right? It's just a little subtlety. It's not enough to get nine of the 10 digits right on the phone number. Exactly. (laughs) I love it. That's awesome. And the website, people can find you at johnharimza.com and spell that out for everybody. Where do they find you there? We can put it in the show notes as well. Yeah, John Haremza, J-O-H-N, and then H-A-R-E, as in Edward, M-Z, as in Zebra, A.com. There's links to my social media. There's links to Amazon for my books. You can actually get a free download, I think, of a chapter there. It's all generic. I got all kinds of short little training videos that come out of the book. No mention of any company or anything. It's all generic things that you can learn from and grow. I love those little booklets. You've got four of them. I mean, like you, probably passed out or provided to the team tens of thousands of those from Jim Rohn back in the day, Paul J. Meyer, and you've got four of them. What are those four subjects on? So the first one is called Small Steps, which is kind of the essence of it is everything counts, right? Regardless of how small or insignificant Mm -hmm. something is at the time, it does make a difference, right? Overcoming objections, talk about some techniques on how to overcome objections, very important point. A lot of people get stumped. Network, why network marketing? And then this one is on mindset. And this whole business is also, I mean, that's tied to belief and everything else, mindset. And I tell a story in this book that Jim, or that Earl Nightingale tells that just really for me, just like, okay, I got it. The strangest secret. The strangest secret. How many times have you listened to The Strangest Secret? Oh my God, it's just phenomenal. (laughs) It's unbelievable. That's fun. Well, listen, man, it has been absolutely fantastic. I love that people know where to reach you. And I'm sure you and I will be talking in the future as well. So John, thanks so much for being on the show. Okay, thank you, Patrick. And we'll see you soon. You bet. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Network Marketing Dream with Patrick Shaw. For more insights on building a solid networking business, visit our website at rapidfunnel.com slash MLM. If you loved our content, please share, like, and subscribe. We look forward to seeing you in the next episode.